0: I've just hit record silence. (laughs) Why are you attacking your microphone with a knife? I don't think the microphone's enjoying that. (laughs) Oh, you cut your hair. Do you like what I've done with it? Well, your hair is so good, Sam. You should take a photo of that and put it on the front of a book.
1: I was going to say, Marty, could you cut in at an appropriate time?
2: (laughs) And make some joke about Sam's education. Or at an inappropriate time, <laughs> as the case
1: may be. There you go, Marty. That's your start before the, the thunderclap. All right. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Sons of Thunder. That's it's my... You, you might have to do that again. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here we go. Hello, and welcome to Sons of Thunder, the podcast where I get to discuss real faith topics with one guy one of my sisters once described as the most beautiful, arrogant man you'll ever meet. And another guy who is the most hardcore. I want to follow Jesus like Saint Francis of Assisi, missionary. Gentlemen, welcome. Marty, Matt, that means you are the first one. How you doing, guys? Good, thanks. Doing good. Not sure whether I
2: quite live up to that description, but anyway,
1: we can differentiate who's who reasonably easily
0: because you're not arrogant. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, even, even even the wanting to, like I, I I do want to, but there are some times in the morning where I'm just like, ah, I just want to sleep in.
1: <laughs> I should have gone with my other one. I actually had a different, uh, version here of an introduction, which was that I want my alarm to go off 10 minutes later, whereas you guys are spider good things, but maybe it's you that wants the, uh, alarm to go <laughs> later, uh, guys, we've been, so this is our third part three, our third episode on the Kerygma on the gospel and father, Dave, can I get you to give us a quick summation of the first two episodes?
2: Well, yes, so we are talking about this fancy word called k- kerygma, which uh, is actually a Greek word meaning proclamation. How do you spell it, Marty?
0: <laughs> not the way I did. <laughs> <laughs> How did you spell it, Marty? Um, I think I went with, I got the K right. K-E-R-I-G-M-A, maybe. I think that's, that's generous. Like that.
2: Yeah. <laughs> K-E-R-Y-G-M-A. Anyway, it's not about spelling. So the, so the actual proclamation is the proclamation of the good news as we mentioned in previous episodes a lot of people think the good news is be nice and follow the rules and you might get to heaven but the actual good news was classically broken down into this four-step idea that the world was created good but then something went bad because we sinned and we fell away from that goodness but then god in his mercy sent a savior to raise us up almost to a place higher than we were in the beginning, and then brought us into this gift of new life. So I think we're up to now, part three, that whole thing of salvation.
1: That whole thing of salvation. It is a whole thing. All right, well, thanks for joining us today. That's great.
2: <laughs> you can just Google the rest and find out online.
1: What have you got, Marty? No, I didn't have anything to interrupt with.
0: I felt disappointed.
2: You've always got something to interrupt with. Yeah. What's wrong?
0: Must be a bad day. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so where are we going to start? Incarnation?
2: Yeah. Classically. Completely different of... to
0: a pink carnation. That's the best I got.
2: (laughs) That's pretty good. (laughs) Classically, when we think about salvation, people say, let's talk about the cross. But yeah, I I like that. Let's talk about the incarnation. Sam, tell us about the incarnation.
1: Uh, It's not something we deserve. What is it? Which is the beautiful thing of, oh, the incarnation is God becoming one of us.
0: What if God was one of us?
1: Why do I feel like I'm in class right now? I'm waiting for the teacher to give me a nod of approval. Instead, he turned and took a drink of water. I well, see, because
2: normally you're the one asking me the hard theological questions. So I thought I'd just flip this around and be a spectator. You're there. the
1: speaker. God becomes one of us. How, how can we know God if God is spirit? Mm. So God becomes one of us. But for many people, they wanted God to become one of us as a king, as a victor, as someone who would crush their enemies and they would just be right and celebrate and yet, God becomes one of us.
0: In in a really vulnerable way. Remember mm. the
1: beginning of Terminator 2, when Terminator comes back
0: in this sphere of energy and stands up. That's not how God
1: became man. But he could have if he had have chosen to do that, but he didn't. The no clothes part is correct. <laughs> but yeah, the fact that the Terminator came back buff and ready to fight is certainly very different. But God entered the
0: world as a baby, totally vulnerable, dependent on his parents, you know, really entering hundred percent into what all the rest of us
1: experience as human. And it sets us a platform right from the outset too, that of humility as the path.
2: Mm. Mm. I find this fascinating. I often, when I'm preaching about this at Christmas, I often like to say to the congregation, Do you, do like, you talk do about
0: Terminator 2? No. Because
1: you can from now on. Challenge. <laughs>
2: I've not seen the movie, I'm afraid, and I really have no desire to. Anyway, next time you preach about Christmas, you you can do that. But anyway, normally I'd kind of say to them, like, if you were God and you had the job of trying to fix up all the problems in the world, how would you do it? For thousands of years, you've had people crying out to you for salvation, like, God, if you're there, do something. And you've been seeing all these wars and destruction and violence and you finally have a chance to do anything in your power probably the last thing on your list of possible things to do would be become a helpless little child in a poor little village where no one even knows that you exist, and then hide there for the next 30 years doing an ordinary job and don't do anything to fix the
1: problem. And yet, setting a foundation that in the end is very much the model to follow to fixing that problem. It's funny, it's funny, we look at that 30 years and say he didn't do anything, but what was he doing in that time? And I know we, we refer to that as the silent years. But what was he doing in that
0: time? He was... He was- Praying. he was obeying his parents he was working he was doing all sorts of things that we do
2: this is the thing i find fascinating because if you think of it like a disease the remedy re- reveals to you something of what the disease actually is we think we understand what the problem is and so then we look for a solution that fits into our understanding of what sin is but jesus then comes and gives us a remedy completely from left field unexpected And in doing so, he actually teaches us something of what the real problem is, like what actually is the real disease of sin. So the whole fact that he comes in in obedience, like you say, it shows that the problem actually is the fact that our hearts are rebellious. And if if only one person could be completely obedient, somehow that would break all the power of evil.
1: It's so natural for us to be rebellious. It's really difficult. It feels very counterintuitive to actually forgive and be merciful. We glorify rebelliousness.
0: You know, Star Wars, Rebels, you know, Mm -hmm. it sounds cool when really it's not.
1: On so many occasions, I forgave people. The guys who mugged me at knife point in Costa Rica, the guys that beat me up in Russia, I forgave them after these encounters. And I reckon within five minutes of this pious, holy, I'm going to forgive them, Lord, please bless them, I've completely forgotten that prayer. I've re-entered those encounters, the mugging and the fight. It's amazing. In my head, I am so good at Kung Fu. I am amazing. My, my moves are smooth and my punches pack a, a fair bit of weight behind them. You're good at Kung Fu in my mind too, Sam. Thanks, mate. And I beat these guys up in my head and then suddenly realized what it was I prayed five minutes ago. And kind of, you know, oh, sorry, Lord, I'll forgive them. And then half an hour later, I'm back to that same thing, and it went on and on. The whole forgive them seventy-seven times. Mm. It was actually forgive them seventy-seven times for the one thing that they'd done, not mm. for seventy-seven different things. Yeah, it was just a very natural thing to want justice, not mercy, mm. not to forgive. I, I want my pound of flesh. I I am I've been wronged I've been mugged at knife point I've been beaten up and I was bloodied after the the Russian one and I wanted justice and I wanted it on my terms
2: but that kind of reveals something of this mystery of the incarnation because what you're looking for there is for someone to actually understand your pain you know the whole thing of vengeance is I want you to experience the pain that I've experienced but it's kind of this deep primal cry for someone just to listen and understand you. And in a strange way, this is where the very fact that God becomes human meets that deep need because he's actually entering into this deep place of solidarity where he understands our deepest pain. And, and so when we talk about this idea of salvation, a lot of people think, okay, Jesus died on the cross, therefore I'm saved. It's like an equation where actually it's almost like being immersed into this experience of someone who knows you and understands your pain because he's taking his pain upon you. And in that process, you're actually able to let go of it. So mm. like we always talk about this idea that I'm saved, but I'm yet to be saved. He's he's done something which has broken the power of evil, but then I've got to try and take that upon myself every day to realize I can now let go of my bitterness and anger. I can let go of my hatred because He's taken it on himself. You know, It's like, like someone actually knows me and understands it and in doing so breaks the power of that poison of sin.
1: And we see this right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry when he encounters the woman at the well from the town of, is it Sikar? And he tells her everything about her life. It's this sense of, I know. Hmm. And hmm. it's in that, that encounter, that understanding that Jesus knows what she's been through, that there is suddenly freedom. Mm. God knows what, I, what I've been through. I'm not alone.
0: Yeah, and in broad terms, sort of no matter what it is, you know, betrayal, being beaten up, Sam, you know, the worst things that happened to you probably happened to Jesus.
1: Actually, mm. hey, there was a priest I met in Wyoming, Father Hugo, and he asked me a question I'd never been asked before, which was, you spend all this time out on the road, what do you think about? I said, oh. Vengeance. Everything? No, I said that. I said you know, everything. You know, There are times when I find myself going in that spiral of vengeance towards people who have wronged me. There are times when I write songs, uh, when I'm in a good mood. There are, I think about lots of different things. And, and I said to him, I've got to be honest though, because I do spend so much time on the road, it feels like there's no stone unturned in my life. And so anything I've ever done in my life that's genuinely bad, either I'm ashamed of it or I just wouldn't want it to be spoken about publicly or I've, you know, I know I shouldn't have done something. You know, I said, they are hard days when you get stuck in that rut. And we had a bit of a a chat about it. And he said to me, Sam, you know what your problem is? You have forgiven those who have wronged you or you're at least attempting to. You have accepted the forgiveness of those who you've wronged, but you've never forgiven yourself. And he said, "If Jesus forgives you, who are you to not forgive yourself?" So it wasn't so much about vengeance in this case. In this particular moment, it was a desperate need for a bit of restoration in even my own view of myself. Mm-hmm. That I am, I am broken, and everyone else is broken too. But Jesus calls us, and calls us from that place.
2: And you know, if you go back to when we started, we were saying, you know. In the beginning, the world was created good, but then something went bad. And, and often we're so obsessed about the badness, like particularly the badness in ourselves. We,
0: Which is quite obvious to us. Yeah. Well,
2: exactly. Like we, we get so caught up in our own shame, we can't actually see the beauty of creation in ourselves. And I think we mentioned that in that episode how we we can delight in the, in the beauty of creation, but we don't include ourselves as being part of that category. Mm. But then you've got this, this idea that God decides to become human. That's a pretty significant step to say, well, actually, humanity is good enough for God. You know, get over yourselves and actually start to realize that you're loved. You can leave our shame behind because somehow He sanctified us in the midst of that. Whether we, we wanted to or not, he, he came and chose us.
0: So I was, um, I was listening to a podcast this week. Scott Hahn was on it talking about a new book he wrote. But part of it that really stuck with me was talking about don't, some God don't that Don't publicize
1: missed. other podcasts. You you can edit this, whatever. Um,
0: (laughs) They say from someone else that was told to saying, I'm not much, but I'm all I think about. That struck me, you know, I think that's absolutely true. We're
1: self-obsessed, you know, either in a bad way or in a worse way. Can I put a question to you guys? Yes. We've just been talking about uh, being very aware of our guilt and our badness but there'd be a very large contingency of people in the world who would actually be in a different camp where they'd be saying, well, no, I don't feel guilty. There is no guilt. I don't know why I'm bringing this up, but I feel like there's a, I don't know where I'm going with this, but there is a, there's a whole different group there.
2: Yeah. It's an interesting one. I think, um, a lot of people spend a lot of energy trying to drown their conscience. They probably actually do feel guilty for things, but they're actually trying really hard not to listen to that voice inside of them. You know, And you see this a lot with people drowning themselves with alcohol because they're actually being haunted by stuff they've done in the past. And they'd rather just shut down that part of their spirit that is trying to remind them. Or even the same way, you look, look at the way people try and shut down the voice of the church because it's almost like the church is their voice of conscience still echoing. Mm. So as much as people would say they don't feel guilty, I think eh, we, we, yeah, we're we just trying to silence that voice that we know is actually speaking truth.
1: So you can numb it for various means.
2: Yeah, run away from it, distract it, turn the radio up louder.
1: So it's often the accusation against uh, reconciliation is, well, why do you try and put guilt on people that they have to? Confess, etc., but uh, a very skewed perspective of reconciliation. Now, I take it, Father Dave, you actually had to study a fair bit on even just what reconciliation is. I'd assume.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's it's actually like one, one of the one of the last things a priest learns, or as a seminarian learns. There's a special course on how to hear reconciliation, and it's basically pass or fail. Like you don't actually get a grade. If you fail, you don't get ordained.
1: But is it reconciliation like that?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Basically, priests take it very seriously. Yeah. They they are trained. A lot of them need more training in it. (laughs) Pope Francis (laughs) spent a lot of time talking about how confessionals not meant to be a torture chamber.
0: There's even something in the name there. Like remember when I was in primary school, we we, we called it reconciliation. Then a bit later on, the sacrament was referred to more as confessions and sort of both but they sort of have quite different connotations. Just those two names that confession focuses in on here, come on, tell me what you're guilty of and reconciliation. The concept is quite different. The, the, the concept is come and be reunited to the loving father.
2: And I think the technical name is actually the sacrament of penance, <laughs> 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 which is a whole different connotation altogether. It's like,
0: yeah, yeah. they all, they all happen. Yes. Yes. But I think you can lose sight. He's, well, especially if you don't, if you're not familiar with what's really going on, you know, you can lose sight of the the reality of the reconciliation.
2: But it's an interesting thing. If you go back to that question around people not feeling guilty, C.S. Lewis. We, we've got to have a C.S. Lewis quote, and we have one in every yeah. pretty much Today, every episode. Sons of
1: Thunder podcast is brought to you by C.S. Lewis. <laughs>
2: paraphrasing, but he basically said, uh, you'll never know how bad you are until you try and be good. And he's basically trying to point out this idea that it's only when we actually try to be virtuous, we start to recognize just how much we actually fail. So part of that thing is that when people don't feel guilty, I think it's because they're actually kind of comfortable where they are and they're not really trying to improve. St. John of the Cross used that image of a dirty window if you look at a window at nighttime, it's gonna look pretty clean. But then you look at it in the morning when the sun's shining through it, and you'll see every smudge and bit of dirt and on, on the window. Mm. So it's kind of that idea that when we're actually living in darkness, we can't see the smudges or the, the faults. But it's as we actually come closer into the light, we start to see them more. And so getting back to the idea of the sacrament of reconciliation or confession or penance, choose your name. <laughs> Part of the beauty of that is that very often people, when they first come back, they'll say, Father, it's been 20 years since I've been to confession and I can't really think of much. You know, I might have, you know, sworn a few times. But then you see them, you know, two or three times later and they've got a whole list. You know, that there's actually something about as I start to step back into the light and make a real conscious decision to be good, it actually makes me more sensitive to all the areas where I've failed.
1: Yeah, so you really... Confession, penance, reconciliation, otherwise known as CPR. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Bring you back restores to life, us.
1: yes. <laughs> You're welcome. Mm. Actually, Marty uh, referred to this in a, in a previous interview we did with Heather Sweeney. Marty was talking about the confession of John Pridmore. Oh, the, the gangster. The gangster, yeah. which was the, the, the priest who heard his first confession came to him sometime later and said, I don't remember anyone's confession, but I remember yours. <laughs> he uh, he got a lot off his chest, I think, to start with. His wasn't one, he came in the other end. He wasn't coming and going, oh, I think I swore. And then in time refined him. Uh, I think he'd had a bit of an encounter beforehand and he came in with some pretty heavy confessions. Mm. He'd done his, some
2: bad stuff. If you, if you hear his mm. testimony,
0: he, he needed CPR. Yeah. Yeah, what's his book? The Gangster's Guide to God, or something like that.
2: Gangland to Promised Land, isn't it, or something like that? Yeah, Gang that's, to that's one land. too. Yeah,
0: yeah,
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah that one too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look, oh, he's got a couple, does he?
0: Multi multi award-winning author. Well, it really does, author, though, anyway.
1: establish Father Dave. The this goes back to that first episode we did of us being created in a certain way for a certain purpose. And this isn't it. So you're talking about being comfortable and we can become very comfortable in who we are and the way it's going, but that's not who we've been created to be.
0: So could you say it like this, you know, if you track back salvation history, that God created everything, but in particular mankind and saw that man was good. And then later on after the fall, God really reconfirms that by becoming man himself.
2: Yeah, there was a, um, just checking up the, the, the name, because I always get the name wrong. There was an Italian philosopher in the Renaissance Syria called uh, Giovanni Picco della Mirandola.
0: Oh, I could have told I, you that. Oh, easy, yeah, classic, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah.
2: I just had to Google that quickly because I was destined to get that wrong. But uh, amongst many other things that he said, he, he had this classic quote where he said that uh, God created humanity halfway in the universe, not quite animal, but also not quite angel. And it was almost Mm. like we were sort of wedged between these two realms. And then any decision we made from that point on would either lift us up to become higher than the angels or take us down to be lower than the animals. And so everything from that point on was your choice. So yeah, so in, in the beginning, God had created us very good, you know, much higher than the realm of animals but gave us this free choice to say, well, from here on, you choose where you want to go. And, and we, we sadly see a lot of people in their decisions do become lower than animals.
0: We see that all the time, don't we? You know, follow your instinct, you know, like mm. do what do what you feel all the time. You know, that, if that's your philosophy, how are you different from, I don't know, a dog? Yeah. So that's what they do.
2: That's right. But, but then you've got this other side of it where actually because God becomes human in, in the person of Jesus Christ, he opens a way for us to actually follow him to be raised up, you know, to become higher than the angels and to actually reach our full potential. You know, so there's always mm. been this idea in church theology that as a result of the mercy of God through the death and resurrection, we actually end up better than we ever would have been back in the Garden of Eden. You know, so even though we started very good in the garden, there's something through this process of knowing grace and mercy that will actually be lifted
0: up even higher. So that's O Happy Fault from Augustine, isn't it?
2: Uh, the Exhortet, the the prayer that's prayed at the beginning of the Easter Vigil, where yeah. it says, O Happy Fault that is brought for us so great a Redeemer. So yeah, in a strange way, the church almost rejoices over the great stuff up of the Garden of Eden, because we realize that because of that, we now are able to know mercy and mercy is the greatest revelation of love.
0: So God's mercy isn't his backup plan. No, it was like It's, actually, plan. it's actually the plan.
1: Uh, St. John Paul II, one of his quotes that I love is that adversity allows our love to become beautiful, but in the same way, it also allows God's love to be.
0: Is there another adjective coming on the end there?
1: Nope. Nope.
0: It just
2: allows his love to be. Full stop.
1: Well, that's what, yeah, yeah. is that okay?
2: (laughs) 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 It's your quote.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, no, no. His quote was simply that the quote was uh, adversity allows (laughs) our love to become beautiful. That's it. Full stop. I was adding on to it. (laughs) Right. I was adding on to it. Really, really yes, delivered powerfully. Yeah.
2: <laughs> That's profound. Yeah. Shall I, shall I go back? No, no, no. I just let, let, leave it hanging in the air. That's in the <laughs> it allows God's uh, love to be. Yeah, definitely. Totes. Adversity,
1: adversity does allow us to encounter God's love. Mm. Is that a better way of putting it? Yes. You got you understand what I mean? Yeah, good. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I've
2: there just was, got it. I've just got it now. Yeah. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> there was a quote by <laughs> Tolkien. So so we've been, we've been quoting CS Lewis all the time. But uh Tolkien, the author it's of to amp it up. Hobbit Lord of the Rings. He he had a series of letters to, to his son, and I think in one of them he had this great quote where he said that sometimes God's punishments are his greatest blessings. Hmm. And he was trying to tap into something of that idea that it's almost like this idea of the parent who sees things from such a different perspective to the child. You know, so when Marty disciplines his children, they just think he's this evil ogre. Yep. Whereas actually he's got this vision of what they're meant to be as adults and he's trying to help them get there to that point. And so Tolkien, I think, was trying to have the same idea that even when hardship and trial and suffering hits us, our father, our heavenly father is in there somehow working grace and blessing and goodness. So it's, it's going to turn out even better.
0: As a father, that is so clear to see. When my kids are doing things that are damaging themselves, I would be totally remiss not to step in and do something to, to get them to see that so they can make better decisions. And the difference there is in a scenario like that, you can actually see what you think the big picture is. When you're talking about God and you, like you're totally subjective and you know, you can't see the big picture. So it's, it's, you know, it's harder to see.
1: I heard some great stories over the years when Father Dave was head of formation for the MGLs. The formator. Uh, Seminarians or novices who required some form of discipline, but uh, Father Dave had a, a certain fatherly way of disciplining which was to throw it all completely back on that person, which, correct me if I'm wrong here, Father Dave, but it was usually along the lines of choose one or the other.
2: Yeah, I'd I'd normally just try and get them to make that decision themselves. You know, like, do you actually want to be here or not? You're free. You can make the decision. I I think we often come to the idea of punishment very much like a child. You know, a child expects that the parent's going to, you know, hammer them, treat them really unjustly. And then somehow the child's got the justification to walk away angry saying, see, I told you my parents, you know, unjust, but there's something about actually treating the person like an adult and saying, well, it's your choice, you know? And I think that's something of what God does to us mm. that we would like to think of God as this really unjust judge who's going to damn us all to hell because we sneezed in church or something. Whereas I think the actual reality is where God says, you know, it's your choice. Do you want to love me or do you not want to love me? I'm not going to force you to. If you want to follow this path of life, I'll bless you. If you don't want to follow that path of of life, then the rest of it's up to you. And I I think we don't like that bit. Like we we don't actually like being treated like adults. We'd much rather being out of rail against this unjust God who somehow is not loving us properly.
1: Because he should be a genie.
2: Well, yeah, he should either be giving me everything I want or just letting me get off scot-free without anything at all. Whereas actually God wants to treat us like adults and say, well, I've given you everything you need. If you just want to open that book on your shelf called the Bible and actually start reading it or ask someone to explain it to you, we've got to sort of leave behind our immaturity at some point and actually start to make a choice of what we want.
1: So getting back to CRP and the the sacrament of penance, when I was in Poland, I tried to go to confession and couldn't because the priests didn't speak English and my Polish, whilst it was okay to communicate in it, I didn't know the actual, the, the sins I needed to be able to confess. I didn't know those words. So I couldn't actually go to confession. And I couldn't, my Polish wasn't good enough to understand the priest either. So it wasn't simply a matter of being there and confessing in English and they assume that they know that I've made a good confession and they respond in Polish. There actually needed to be a genuine, and this is the first time I I knew about this. I was inquiring of the priest. I was a bit hesitant. I wasn't sure if if it was allowed and it turns out it's not. So the priest actually has to.
0: Understand what you're saying.
1: Understand what you're saying. But also, is it true, Father Dave, that, that we couldn't go to confession with you over Zoom right now? Correct. Correct. So we have to be in the same be, place. It has
2: to be in person.
1: Okay. So what's the deal? What is the sacrament of penance?
2: Basically, sacraments are a physical encounter with God symbolically, if that makes sense. So you're, you're actually experiencing the gift and grace of God through some sort of physical symbol. So as in baptism, you get dunked with water. The actual water is not the manifestation of God, but it, in a sense, reveals to us physically what God is doing by washing us with his, you know, his, his love and his, his and, mercy. And, and that's
0: important because we're animals as well as spirits. We're
2: bodily beings. So that's it. God God wants to encounter us in a bodily way. And so that whole thing of confession is that it's important to actually have someone hear you actually for you to speak it out and to actually hear someone say you're forgiven. The reason we don't like doing that is obviously because we're ashamed. Everyone says they would much rather just sit in their bedroom and ask God privately. And you can do that. But there is actually something very powerful psychologically of having to actually face the shame of speaking out what I've done. There's almost like a level of ownership that you have to take on where you say, I've actually done this. But then to actually hear someone say, you know, in the name of the church, I grant you pardon and peace. That is transforming, you know, that you've actually experienced that physically. So this is why the church has always had this idea that it's got to be a physical encounter, particularly for very serious sins. You know, as as much as we can bring our small stuff to God every day, we, we need to come to God to really get that forgiveness.
1: And in that way, very much so, the priest is essentially passing on Jesus' words.
2: Well, he's, he's sitting there in the person of Christ. so In persona Christi. Yes. Uh, in, in this idea that by virtue of his ordination, when he is ministering as a priest, he is actually before you in the person of Christ. So he speaks the words of Jesus to you. And, and that's why a lot of people like to go to confession behind the veil, really as a way of them just believing they're speaking directly to God. A lot of it's about being anonymous, but sometimes they'll actually greet you and say, but then still go behind the veil. And because just for them, it's easier to understand they're talking directly to Jesus.
1: <laughs> the last time I went to confession, the priest said to me, hello, Sam. So Sam, what's your surname? And that was how confession started. It was, <laughs> okay. No anonymity here. Are you taking notes? <laughs> actually, we should say this. I assume that most listeners would know this, but the seal of confession probably the
2: most sacred thing priests cannot say anything that you've ever he's ever heard in confession
1: and priests have gone to to their death because well yeah
2: so if if a priest says something he's heard in confession uh, in a way that reveals the the identity of the person then he's automatically excommunicated and it's quite a process for him to be brought back into the church but yeah as you say many priests have gone to the gone to prison because they refuse to to say that
0: yeah, seems to be under attack in Australia at the moment, the um mm.
2: The Sacramento yeah. Seal.
0: Yeah. But good to point out that there's a there's a history of um of that being attacked.
2: That's right. Yeah.
0: Can I just pick up on something you you said here, just talking about the shame. You know, what the impediment to us admitting or accusing ourselves of our sins because of the shame. And we project that. I think we project that onto God a lot. Hmm probably because of experiences we've had with our parents and our own fathers and stuff and that kind of thing. But I just want to share, I had a, um, a little while back, I remember while I was praying and I had I had this sort of vision in my mind of of these two eyes. I'd asked Jesus to show me the Father and I saw these two eyes and they were the most penetrating eyes and they were sort of green and blue and they looked really old and they were smiling, which is a funny, descri- I wrote this down, it's a funny description, but that's, that's what they looked like. And they were really deep, like they were pools without, without a bottom. And I realized in looking at these eyes in this sort of, my, in my mind, that there's nothing that I could hide from those eyes because these eyes have seen everything. There's nothing I could hide and there was nothing that I would want to hide from these eyes. And that was, you know, that was sort of an image of, of the Father.
1: It's a big consequence of the fall, isn't it, is that we lose sight of who God actually is. Yeah. And we've
0: spent our whole time hiding in shame.
1: Yeah. We fear God for the yeah. wrong reasons.
2: Mm. That that imagery of the, the, the fall into sin in Genesis, I think is always amazing because once Adam and Eve sin, they suddenly realize they're naked and they try and clothe themselves with fig leaves, uh, which by anyone's standard is not particularly an effective means of clothing, <laughs> particularly on a windy day. <laughs> God then comes and makes better clothing for them, you know, so it's like mm. they're trying to hide from God and they're trying to cover their shame when actually God's there saying, "Look, let me do this for you you know like let 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 me be the one that covers you um and I think that's really what happens in confession. It's like God comes and says, "Okay, you have now given me your sin, let me now cover that with grace, and so you can now walk out of this room with dignity, you're no longer having to hide and keep that part of your life concealed.
0: Yeah, 100%. I've just been getting into the Divine Mercy devotion from St Faustina recently.
1: and Same as a result of coronavirus lockdown because the Pallava Viva sisters in and have put on Facebook every afternoon at 3 o'clock. So when I'm on the farm... Oh, the hour of great mercy. At 3 o'clock. And I'm finally learning it at age
0: 41. <laughs> it's really not that hard. <laughs> I you know. It's a, uh, you know, if the rosary takes 20 minutes and you don't have 20 minutes, go for the Divine Mercy Chaplet. It takes six. But the. Portekelonostos. Promise... Eh? Why not both? Yeah, well, 26. <laughs> but the promises that Jesus makes in that revelation to St. Faustina are amazing. Say the, you know, say the chaplet for someone who's dying and grace will flow. A bit like the dudes who lowered their mate down to jesus because they couldn't get past the crowds and he heals him because of what his buddies had done in the same sort of way that saying this prayer for someone who's dying will bring them you know into into the light of jesus anything you ask me at three o'clock in the hour of divine mercy in virtue of my passion i'll grant to you you know it's it's really quite astounding how big and, and black and white the promises that Jesus made in
1: those visions. And throughout scripture, I can't think of anything off the top of my head where someone's doing something whereby they have now deserved God's forgiveness and Jesus rocks up alongside them and forgives them. <laughs> Almost every person is, they've done something like they simply reached out and touched his cloak or obviously the woman at the well, who she's just gone to get water on that day Mm. you've got people up trees you've got people who he just passes on the side of the road you know they're not actually doing anything to earn god's forgiveness Mm. There, there is complete mercy
2: but they are opening themselves to receive it yeah Mm. and that's the thing that fascinates me with this idea of grace it's that so often the problems on our side like like we we worry that god's not going to forgive us but the actual problem is that we're not going to let ourselves be forgiven you know i I, sometimes when i try and teach about this i often use the example of you know say marty kills somebody and at the example (laughs) with a
1: a quick-witted comment
2: (laughs) exactly with
1: with a
0: crowbar in the attic (laughs)
2: exactly so something something horrendous and violent at the court case you're about to be sentenced to life in prison but at that very moment the mother of the person you killed gets up and speaks to the judge and says instead of him being sent to prison i want to adopt him as my own child and you get taken home and you know the very room that, that her child lived in is now yours and she says you know all their clothing is yours and even their inheritance is yours and, and you are to now live with her for the rest of your life and be her child. You know, the next morning she comes and gives you bacon and eggs in bed. You're you're probably going to think that this is some grand conspiracy where she's trying to poison you very slowly or something. And if, if she was to do this every single day, how long would it take before you would actually let yourself be her child? My guess is that over that time, you'd go through a whole range of emotion, hating her, blaming her, believing that she was insane, trying to escape. But at what point would you actually let yourself receive that love mm. and surrender to that mercy? And I think that's the dynamic we have with God, which is where, okay, even if we know in our heads, yeah, God's forgiven me, we're still kind of living in this fearful rebellion because we're not really convinced that we're, accept- we're accepted yet.
1: But even even beyond that, from being accepted to actually loved and cherished and rejoiced in.
2: Yeah, Yeah. And, and, and this is the mystery of the cross. Like to know that we have actually through our sin somehow been part of that crucifixion could honestly say that we have crucified Christ. And yet in return to that, God says, I'm going to give you the whole inheritance. I'm going to welcome you into my kingdom as co-heirs with Christ, as St. Paul would say, or even as St. Paul would say, you know, that everything that belongs to Jesus now belongs to us. I think it's in one of the letters to the Corinthians where he says, Everything is, how does he say it? Um, everything is God's, and uh, I have to check the scriptures.
1: <laughs> hey, he faltered. He faltered. <laughs> he faltered. <laughs> We're 11 in. It happened. <laughs> and now
2: I'm quickly trying to reach my Bible and see if I can find the chapter. Hey, moving
1: on. <laughs>
2: <laughs> anyway. Moving on. You can edit that bit out.
1: (laughs) Nah. (laughs) (laughs) Too good.
0: (laughs) Like, it's too good to be true if it wasn't true. His mercy. You couldn't make it up.
1: Yes. Two years ago, I was doing a speaking engagement up in Brisbane. A good friend was there. And at the end of the night, I knew that she had been to a few different talks that I'd given because she had organized them. So obviously, she's been there for all of them. And I apologized to her that I had used the same kind of jokes in my introduction, but delivered them as though they were fresh. But I apologized to her that obviously she heard the same jokes a few times. And she laughed and said, Sam, You were using those exact same jokes five years ago when I first heard you. But she said, (laughs) I actually think that God chuckles every time you say those same jokes because they're very much still a part of who I am, those particular jokes. And that, as off the cuff as that comment was, it was one of the deepest theological moments I've had in that it challenged my view of God, of how God views me yeah and all that from how did the chicken
0: cross the road no why why did the chicken cross the road (laughs) (laughs) he walked sorry i can't even get that right
2: (laughs) (laughs) just to clarify the scripture that i forgot it's from 1 corinthians 3 uh verse 23 where he says everything is yours and you are christ and christ is god's um yeah so basically trying to say you know we've been given this enormous inheritance Of everything that belongs to Jesus, and we don't deserve any of it.
0: Everything that belongs to Jesus, which is everything.
2: Everything is yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. So when your mum says you can't have that extra slice of fruitcake, you can pull that scripture out and say, (laughs) well, actually, it's mine. (laughs) Uh,
1: I'll try that. I'll I'll let you know how it goes.
0: (laughs) All right, to... um... I think we should just say a prayer for anyone listening to this who has trouble seeing the, um, or feeling or understanding the mercy of God, the, the reality of that in their lives.
1: Yep, yep, go. Yep. No, I think both of us were assuming you were going to launch into right. that.
0: Well, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Jesus, for our for our listeners. Uh, if, you're, if you're listening to this and you're wondering about the mercy of God, and whether whether it's real and if you haven't experienced that and if you have any questions there, we'd just like to pray for you now. Say, so, Holy Spirit, just ask you to come. On anyone who's coming to an understanding of your mercy and ask you to fill them and to show them your love and to show your, them the ocean of your love that is bigger than any shame that we might have. Amen. Amen. Father Dave.
2: So well, we ask that you uh, just bless us, all those who are listening, pray your blessing upon us, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen.
1: Amen. Amen. You prayed a lot quicker than I do, though. I'll say that. Do I? Did uh-huh.
0: I was it okay? <laughs> did I get Did
1: I get the words right? <laughs> twenty twenty six minutes. I'm lucky if I finish my intentions and my breakfast.